0: This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast.
1: Now, uh, to our point about the uh, issues that are going to be dealt with at City Council today, uh, one of them includes Hess Village. Now, last week we talked to uh, Councillor Jason Farr about a proposal that actually passed a committee that called for uh, putting an end to the uh, paid duty officers for Hess Village. But uh, there may well be a uh, a debate about that today based on a letter that uh, the council has received from Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gert. Joining us to talk about the letter and uh, what might happen is uh, is Councillor Jason Farr, who of course represents the downtown area, which includes Hess Village. Councillor Farr, deja vu all over again. Thanks for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me, Bill. Happy 90th, by the way, and thanks for celebrating on the hallowed grounds of City Hall.
1: Well, thanks for having us there yesterday. We had a great time. A great crowd there through the course of the day today, and, and it, was, uh, it was a fascinating day. And uh, you've been part of that, obviously, with uh, with the Chorus family here in Hamilton, too. So uh, you, yes. you should have got a piece of the birthday cake as well. All
0: right. Yeah, I, I came too
1: late. All right. <laughs> Story of your life, I know. And yeah. <laughs> been there, done that. Let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about Hess. Uh, last week when you and I had this conversation, Jay, Uh, You talked about the motion, you talked about the intent of the motion, and uh, uh, about this is an unfair practice in many people's eyes, but your suggestion at that time, if I can just paraphrase and I'll get you to expand on it, is that look, at it might have been a good idea at one time, but the numbers just don't uh, dictate that it should happen anymore. Is that the gist of what you're uh, shooting for here?
0: Right. Well, you and I have debated and talked for seven years now about this uh, exclusive to Hamilton extra policing tax. You don't see it anywhere else in the country, and we uh, focused a lot on that particular piece. Recent debates, and in fact, last Tuesday in planning, two new um, um, issues in my defense for this particular issue came to light. Number one, attendance isn't what it used to be, and there are entertainment districts throughout our downtown. There are popular spots and areas, a little Augusta, James Street North, King William, and you know the the slice of the pie has. Has spread out. It's thinned out a little bit, and so the attendance in Hess Village is not what it was when this bylaw came into place. Roughly around five thousand back then, when we said we need ten officers paid for by those operators in the village. Uh, it's now roughly around. Well, I mean, there's two schools of thoughts. Our own staff did attendance figures. Probably averaging around fifteen to seventeen hundred, where our police have now come up with since Tuesday six other occasions in addition to the one that they offered Tuesday that sees around two thousand to twenty five hundred. Still, obviously, a great decrease in the crowds that dictated, uh, you know, the argument for this bylaw, the exclusive Hamilton bylaw in the first place. Number one, number two, there are much less bars than there were even two years ago, splitting the difference, splitting splitting that cost, and it's a formula based on. Uh, area. And uh, there's only six. Where in 2015. There was 15 splitting that uh, cost. So it's disproportionate and it's become, you know, onerous for some owners. And I'm acting on behalf of a business constituency that has consistently told me this is unfair. This is a practice that doesn't happen anywhere else. And police hopefully could start uh, policing the way they do entertainment districts across the country and the way they do uh, across the city of hamilton and and be consistent so that's what i was fighting for that's what i continue to fight for albeit uh, bill i'm sure we're about to talk about it there's been a few um uh, bells and whistles added to the argument since we last spoke right after planning committee last Tuesday. that i need to take into account that i'm great very grateful for some of the conversations that have been going on
1: well let's talk about that uh, chief eric gert of course has weighed in on this now i know at the committee level that uh, constable Mason was actually there and, and and made a few suggestions about this but uh, here's and I'm not going to read the whole letter from the chief I, I know you've seen it Jay but for the oh, yeah. for the sake of our listeners uh, his assertion here and a, a couple of lines from the letter I want to read here not having paid due to officers would lead to an increase in disorder in this entertainment area policing would largely be reactive uh, according to the chief now there's a couple of things here that uh, that chief Gert talks about in the letter uh, he points out that calls to Hess Village, include robberies, assaults, vandalism, disturbances, shots fired, sexual offenses, drug and alcohol violations, weapons offense, and medical assistance, and suggest that half of all the calls for downtown are centered around Hess Village. So my point to you, Jay, and I think what the Chief is trying to say here is, it's not how many people are there, it's what they're doing. And that's why he's suggesting that you can't take this detail, these paid-duty officers out of there. Your reaction?
0: absolutely and i had a really great chat with the chief about that still looking for some clarity actually on the footprint that uh, the chief refers to when he says hess village um but uh, just a number a couple of items uh, with respect to that because it's something obviously we take seriously i've said to you for years we're not looking for police reductions we're actually looking for police to police the way they do everywhere else and everywhere else Aside from Hess Village, with all the challenges we have that we can affiliate to certain individuals or certain operators, not all, most are really great operators, um, but the the footprint is one issue. So two weeks ago, in a, in a staff working group called the Downtown West Harbour Staff Task Force, I sit at that working group. It's not a public meeting, it's a staff meeting, but I've inserted myself for years. I go almost every month. It's a good way to update uh, myself on some of the things collective divisions are working on. We had a presentation from police. Uh, they use the same language. They, these, what you're referring to when you talk about the offenses that you have uh, 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 shared here, are priority one calls for service. When we had that presentation, they showed a slide, the, the officers from Hamilton Police Services, and I went over this with the chief, still trying to get clarity on what footprint he's referring to versus what we saw on the slide a few weeks ago at this committee. The footprint, first of all, was from John Street. They called it the Hess Village area. The footprint that they were noting these calls for service went from John Street to Ray Street in Ward 1, from Hunter Street to Cannon Street here in Ward 2. That's a big footprint. And when they show the pinpricks of all those calls and the different uh, issues, they went all the way to John and Cannon. They, went, they were all over that particular defined geographic area that they called Action Precincts A and B. That is quite obviously not what most people consider to be the Hess Village area when they think of Hess Village. They think of between F Street, between King and Main, and on George Street, between Caroline and Queen. That's, that is Hess Village. So when we say 54% of all downtown calls, are we talking about that precinct that we saw from the officers two weeks ago? Or are we talking 54% of all the calls, priority one calls, in that two-block stretch that most people know as Hess Village? Trying to get clarity on that, working with a really great copper, uh, Superintendent Will Mason, on that today. We've been back and forth. We had him on conference call with the chief and the chair, uh, Ferguson, yesterday. I want to get clarity on that. And I might add also, when you see that slide, Bill, and I, I can send it to you for your own uh, Yeah, I'd like interest. to see it.
1: I'd like to see yeah, that.
0: Yeah, I'll do it as soon as we're done here because I have, the, uh, I have the link. So this isn't stuff I'm making up. There's one thing to receive calls, and they all are taken seriously. And I absolutely agree with police. It's resource-based. When they get a call, they have to get into action. So that does require manpower. That requires, uh, uh, you know, deployment. So that takes time, and that's that's policing. That's what you do. When you look at these categories on the priority one from the slideshow that I've I've shared that had the footprint from John DeRay and Hunter to, to uh, Cannon, many, many of the calls. There's one, for example, three calls in July were uh, sexual offense-related. All three proved to be uh non offenses they they were never validated there was i think five or six robberies calls for service of that that number for july five of the six give or take i don't have it in front of me were proved to be invalid and on and on and on so when you look at the actual number of calls versus the actual crimes that committed it's a vast vast difference that is not to say and i want to be absolutely clear that there are issues In in and around that area, whether it's the area between John and Ray, Queen and uh, uh, Cannon and uh, Hunter, or the Hess Village proper. Absolutely, we know there are challenges. I absolutely agree. We've been talking about those isolated areas that we need to focus on for years. We've never done it through a licensing tribunal, but there is a vast difference between the calls and the actual. Uh, convictions and crimes that are. I, I but Jade, that
1: that's an apples and oranges di- di- discussion. As Absolutely. far as your as to whether or not you know there was a conviction is really immaterial once the call is made. All the chief is concerned about, all the chair of police services board is concerned about is deployment of staff to Absolutely. do that. They don't know at that time what the, the situations are. Until, that's what the, the, the call is for. That's why they have to respond to it. And what, what Chief Gert is saying is that when he does that or when that call goes out, whether it's a 911 call or, or whatever kind of call it is, those officers are going to be tied up. And they're Absolutely. not And they're not available to handle other calls which are happening in the downtown area that, to, to say well it turned out to be nothing they don't know that at the time you, you, I mean we'd be having this conversation now if the cop said it's probably nothing we're not even going to respond to it All hell would break loose if that happened
0: I, I totally agree I tried to I tried to uh, 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 pricey it down and, and show the apples and oranges is a good way to define it but I just wanted to make it clear bill when we say 54 percent of the calls are hess village is it that defined a and b action precinct from john to that's my i want to get the answer on that so so fair enough maybe i don't need to even and in fact maybe i'm help you're helping me rehearse for council tonight because we have a number of arguments that we want to make uh but if again if we want to just Tracy it all down and get right to the crux of the issue, and it has not changed. Notwithstanding, I very, very much appreciate the conversation I've had with the chief. I told him so. I appreciate his compromise, for lack of a better word, what he called a recommendation to go from ten officers to four. Well they I think that's I think that's a
1: discussion efforts. the council could have. And and, and, and in other words, I I think the message that Chief Gert is giving you here is that, look at, yeah, the numbers are down, but there's still a concern in that area. Maybe we don't need as many officers, but we still do need that special duty. And I know that may not sit well with some of the people that have to pay into it, but the fact is, there's police deployment at, the, at, the, at stake here, and that's got to be part of the discussion.
0: Sure, uh, and it will be, I'm sure. It, I mean, when you get... A uh, 7-2 resolution of planning committee that, that agrees that this is an unfair practice exclusive to Hamilton where you're double-taxing essentially businesses, some of which pay $45,000-plus annually a year in taxes and even collect their own garbage, uh, so they don't really get very limited services for the $45,000 a year they pay in taxes. You 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 understand if you and hopefully appreciate that and what we've talked about for many years now, Bill, is the crux of the issue is this exclusive to Hamilton tax has become onerous and it's caused uh, uh, some concern for some very good operators. They're not all bad. The police have said for years there's one or two that they can isolate on. They've never given me the names of the institutions that they can say are challenging to them. And and part of the debate tonight and what I talked to the chief about yesterday is can we work more collaboratively they're great as it is but can we work more collaboratively to start focusing on those challenges and those operators that are challenging, and go through the same sort of system and policies and procedures that we do throughout the rest of the city. We have, through Licensing Tribunal, put conditions on bad operators that aren't acting in accordance to their license everywhere else but Hess Village. If there's so many challenges in Hess Village, why haven't we done it in Hess Village over the last seven years? So that's something he's agreed to do, work more collaboratively than the already collaborative effort they have with people like our licensing and bylaw staff and, and, and all the rest. So So there's other you know, uh, tentacles to this issue that's been
1: prevalent. And we, we've we talked about that in the past, and, and I know it's going to be germane to the discussion later on this afternoon, that there are many aspects to this. And and we've talked to Dean Collette, of course. Dean is uh, is the owner, or co-owner, I guess, of Coy & Sizzle down there in the village, uh, and very vocal about this. Dean was unavailable to join us this morning. It would have been great to get his input. We'll do that at another time. But but uh, we can talk about the fairness of how this is done and who has to pay, et cetera. And that, but that's a separate argument. Chiefs Gert' main concern right now is not the legality of what you're doing. It's the ser- numbers and staffing situation here. So here's my question. I've got about a minute and a half left here. Sure. This is going to be dealt with at city council today. Is it prudent now, given this information from Chief Gert, that maybe you don't make a decision today. Maybe you talk about a compromise. Maybe you sit back and say, wait a second, let's look at these numbers. Because even now at 922, as you and I are talking, uh, you don't have clarity about what the chief is talking about and, and, and the numbers that you and the uh, the committee had at that time right now. It sounds to me as if you don't have everything in front of you right now, and I don't think you'd, the council itself could make an informed decision.
0: Well, certainly if I can't get uh, clarity on the one issue that I brought forward with you here today, on what, what, what do we mean when we say... Chief says Hess Village. His staff, two weeks ago, to a committee of uh, staff, said Test Village area, that was quite a large area that that accounted for a great, you know, a greater percentage of calls, of priority one calls. Uh, I, I don't see that being a challenge getting clarity on that. Most of the other answers in the debate between the chief and myself and the chair and, and Superintendent uh, 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 Mason happened yesterday. So that perhaps, Bill, I can't, I can't predict. Uh, certainly, as you you rightly point out, there's there is some some answers that I seek prior to five o'clock tonight. If we don't get them, maybe a tabling motion is in order. This is an important issue. And on that, with the extra 30 seconds I have right here, there's a video that's also circulated. So we have one thing that's happened since the vote on Tuesday, seven to two in favor of scrapping this exclusive to Hamilton bio. There's also a video that circulated. There was an article today in the paper. And just for clarity, I made a reference. It said, far kind of dismisses the video. This fella, from what i I've talked to, two uh, uh, operators, from 11 o'clock until 2 in the morning, he was trying to pick off. He was asking many, many people to stand in front of that camera. He, he went after and isolated on those folks that were really out of control. And I've never said over seven years that there are not challenges in Hess Village. There's a lot of young students, Mohawk, Mac and other young people that go to this entertainment district, as they do across the country, and some of them, there is always going to be, unfortunately, when you get thousands of people in one place, there's going to be some bad apples. His focus for his mockumentary, this this blogger, this YouTuber, was to get the worst of the worst, and he did, and that should not be symbolic. Most of the people said, please move along, we're not interested, they were just there, having a good time, and having, you know, being obedient and, and I get that I get
1: that we are, you've used all your 30 seconds Here, and uh-huh. here's the concern uh-huh. even I, I get that, that that's that's not the majority of people with down there okay no. let's let that's a given nor, nor but the fact that that element exists raises the question how do you police it and I think that's what you guys have to think about today uh, I'm gonna watch with great interest as everyone else is about how you handle this this afternoon uh, Jay thank thanks you. so much for the time today
0: I've always appreciated the time on this issue bill thank
1: you councillor Jason you. Farr uh, for the downtown area i got some thoughts on this. B. Kelly at 900CHML.com. What should they do about policing in Hess Village? We'll talk more about that later on. You know that. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon
0: on AM
2: 900CHML.
1: Uh, Interesting report on Global News last night. Uh, Global's uh, Marianne Domain was reporting about uh, a uh, This is a, a report that's issued by a group called the Federation of Rental Housing Providers of Ontario. And this is uh, pertaining to the Fair Housing Plan. Do you remember that in the springtime, the Ontario government announced what they called new measures to try to help renters here in the province? Uh, The operative word there being help, uh, just like when the finance minister made uh, the announcement a couple of weeks after that about new measures that are supposed to help the housing industry. And basically what it did is it started to cripple it and slow it right down. But anyway, uh, we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. The uh, the gist of this report is there at least a thousand planned rental units in Ontario now have been cancelled or converted to condos since the province introduced this new rent control rule uh, scenario that uh, they say is actually supposed to help the rental market. Uh, Subsequent to that, of course, the uh, vacancy rate has uh, fallen to two point one percent right across the province, according to Canada Mortgage and Housing. So that raises the question as to whether or not the government uh, meddling in this has actually helped or hurt. Rental housing, and for that matter, home ownership, uh, which is also an issue I think that we need to talk about and discuss. Uh, Let me ask you to uh, listen to the conversation I'm going to have right now with our next guest because he's been heavily involved in the housing market because he builds them uh, for the last little while and does a great job at it too. Jeff Bacon is the president of New Horizon Development Group uh, here in the Hamilton area, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about the policy and the ramifications. Jeff, how are you doing today?
3: Doing just great, Bill. We're uh, hot off a of Tiger Cat win Friday night, so everything feels better.
1: I know. Just uh, well, let's go for another one. got the Argos, okay. and you know, okay. continue the winning streak against the Argos is always a good thing. Uh, listen, let's let's talk a little bit about this. I know that uh, you know you and I have talked in the past about some of the problems and some of the hurdles and obstacles that you've had to overcome uh, to try to build stuff. I, I, there's some, there's some municipal things that have to be dealt with. Now you've got the province weighing in on this with the rental market. Um, and this is basically, uh, I, I think the, the the coming to fruition of what we were warned was going to happen when the government made these announcements. That people in your industry are just going to say, "What the heck with it? Then I'm not going to bother." Is, is that what you see is happening here?
3: Uh, well, in fact, uh, the, the day the announcement was made, I happened to, or the day after, I happened to be in an economic update with a, a room full of people with one of the major bank's uh, chief economists. And he he himself mentioned that uh, within that single bank alone, there was over $2 billion worth of uh, purpose-built rental plan projects in Toronto uh, that was going to use their bank for the financing that had literally pulled the chute the day after the announcement to say we're going to go back to straight condominiums because we we are being legislated out of an opportunity to invest in the rental business.
1: Here's the thing. (laughs) among many things that we can talk about here, because I, I made this the point of my commentary at ten this morning, and I talked about how this seems to be actually stifling the industry as opposed to encouraging the industry. Uh, there's an argument to be made, and I think a legitimate argument, Jeff, that, that there is not enough rental housing being built and hasn't been for many, many years. But the, the counterpoint to that has always been, well, the government's going to have to bring private sector to the table. In other words, they've got to make it attractive for them to do this. Well, that was starting to happen, and it just seems as if they've hit reverse on it with this policy. Uh,
3: it, and your point is exactly bang on. The, the problem with the policy is that its its uh, intent is not what its result is. Its result is that when you when you have a limited financial uh, resource investment pool, that you're not going to lean towards the one that brings you a uh, less opportunity versus one that brings you more. And when you limit the supply in the marketplace, we all know what happens. You mentioned the two-point whatever vacancy 2.1 now. Yeah, just not acceptable. And unfortunately, what what the government should have done, uh, in my opinion, is just allowed private investment to overflood the market. Uh, People, as you said, were starting to build them. They were starting to be an attractive place for investment for the right people, not us, but the right people in, in our Uh, construction and development space and if if you allow the market to do what it does which is chase after a good opportunity at some point in time the the pendulum will swing where supply is is higher than demand and it will start to filter uh, in reverse in terms of the cost of the housing itself Uh, having said that if you don't increase the stock generally uh, you just never have enough. and And that's, I think, what the net result of this policy is going to uh, end up showing to be.
1: you know, back in the beginning of the summer, I had Tim Hudak and Tim, as you know, Jeff is uh, with his new role, of course, as the, uh, the 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 uh, CEO for the uh, the real estate association of ontario. and And that was back in the you know when we were talking about the housing crisis. and the government thought they had to step in and do something about this. So they introduced, of course, the fifteen percent uh, outsider tax uh... some other measures to do with mortgages etc., and and they've basically they haven't cooled the market they've thrown cold water on it uh... and and tim said look at the problem here is we don't have enough stock there's not enough product uh... the government needs to encourage people to build product well and and that's cooled off the housing market but now with this measure with what they've instituted now with the fair housing plan it seems as if they've done the exact same thing with the rental market
3: that's exactly right and and you know again supply and demand is is as i like to tell our our crew the 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 market is never wrong the market will tell you if you've designed a bad product if you've overpriced it if you've underpriced it uh, you know the market is always right and and there is a good market for nice new rental housing stock uh it, it's now not going to be built <laughs> that's the bottom line and it's policy driven not market reactionary driven so it it does make you wonder uh, what sensibilities go into ending up at that landing point for a decision?
1: There's got to be a balance here, and and I understand the government's explanation for this because we talked to government officials about this the time they announced the policy, Jeff. And you know they talked about fair market rates, and you know some people were you know because of gentrification being forced out of their rental units, and and there were some unscrupulous landlords, uh, and and they're right, there have been. But it just seems as if, uh, I'm not trying to, to, to make this a small problem, because if you're one of the people that's been impacted by that, of course it's a big problem for you. We understand that. But there are protocols that are in place uh, and, and laws that are in place uh, to, 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 to to be able to handle those sorts of things. It just seems as if what they've introduced here is this wide-sweeping policy that's going to have an adverse effect on everybody.
3: Well, and on top of that, if you, if you look at the people who are actually contemplating and actually building this uh, increased rental stock, I mean, you, you make, a, a, as you mentioned, the, for instance, the, uh, the process in order to get something approved. You, you make the decision not today. You make the decision two, three, four, five years ago to go down that path, and you're 90% of the way there, and the government comes in, snaps their fingers, and you got to start all over again. <laughs> it's, it's not a very comforting place to be when you're the, the uh, person trying to get the building built either.
1: And I know we've been after federal governments and provincial governments uh, to to get involved in this. And there's not enough uh, affordable housing stock. There's not enough rental stock. And and it's it's naive to suggest that the government's going to step in and build all that stuff because uh, you and I are going to pay for it as taxpayers. And and that's that's unaffordable. We get that, and I think government gets that too. But. The uh, the attraction has always been talk to the private sector, get them involved. And and nobody, I think Jeff, is suggesting throw gobs of money at, at developers in the private sector to get them to do that. They're not saying that at all, but for God's sakes, you're in the business to, to make a few bucks while you're doing this at the same time. Uh, nobody wants to build a tower like this or, a, or an apartment unit or a rental unit and say, well, that's costing me a couple of hundred thousand bucks, but that's okay. You're out of business in no time if you continue to do that.
3: That's correct, and and again, it's uh, it's an it's not an unlimited pool of capital that that is being invested in these uh, opportunities. So when you when you are making your decision, you're going to make a decision that makes sense for what your long-term uh, objectives are. Uh, and this has been legislated out of making sense in about five minutes, and it's I'm sure it's a pendulum, and it it just can't stay where it is now, or the supply chain will completely dry up, and then, of course, things will, may be affordable that would just be unavailable. So uh, it just doesn't seem like the right answer.
1: Well, I've talked to landlords, people that do have properties, uh, existing properties. I mean, we, we, you and I can talk about new units, and God knows we need those. But even people that have units right now are suggesting, you know what, I'm getting out of the rental business. Uh, They've made it prohibitive for me to do this. Uh, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to turn this into just a a residential property, sell it off, and, and, you know, a family or whoever wants to buy it can buy it, and I'm out of there. Well, that's decreasing the rental stock, too. It just seems to have had uh, a snowballing effect on the whole industry.
3: We're we're going the wrong direction, Bill, and, and, uh, you know, there's a a very... Um, long-term as you mentioned need for the, for this kind of housing and if you look in in sort of the rental stock pool in downtown hamilton uh specifically it's been a long long time since there was a, a brand new rental purpose built building uh, there's a couple going up now and you know sort of that might just be the the tap turning off that noise you hear that says now we've got another 45 years to wait until something else new is built that's uh intended for rental so it's a it's a very challenging approach to take to uh, solve a problem that's never going away
1: well you mentioned supply and demand and and that to my mind sounds like the the most probable solution here is if you build more units then, obviously, rents are going to go down. Instead of putting impositions on landlords, why don't you just tell a potential tenant that, look at, you've got a choice of six different places now. instead of, hey, you're on a waiting list and maybe you can get one and take what you can get and you have to pay it or not or too bad for you. Instead, give them that choice. and and we're not doing that at this stage. We're not offering that extra product. it's It's happening with homeowners now, and it's happening with renters.
3: Well, and that's the exact same argument for the, the, the whole housing crisis you'd mentioned where Tim here I came on to speak with you. Uh, as soon as you limit the supply, uh, there's only one way for the price and demand to go, and it's the wrong direction for a fair and balanced market. And I'm sure the landlords of uh, you know that, that are proposing to consider building something new are just looking to operate in an environment where they can compete in a fair and balanced market. Uh, when when rules are changed midway down the process, that works, you know, highly against the the owner of the property or prospective owner of a new property, and therefore not in favor of a prospective tenant. Uh, it's a lose lose, and and this is exactly what's been put together, and it's just it's bad for everybody.
1: Listen, let's step back a bit. I want to get into maybe the rudimentary aspects of, of what you do and, and others in your, your group, uh, New Horizon and others that like this, Jeff. Uh, when there's a proposal to build, let's say a rental unit or whatever it is that, that may be on the books at this stage, uh, they cost a lot of money to build, a lot of money up front because you've got to build them before you can rent them. Uh, you can't reach into your right pocket and say, here's the money, slap it down on the table and say, that's the cash we need. Uh, you don't have that much money. Uh, your brother probably does. He's, you know, very, Steve's very rich, but but you you've got to borrow that money, so you've got the bank coming at you, and of course interest rates have just gone up. So there's a cost to this whole thing, and and governments don't seem to understand that 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 you're actually extending yourself, your credit, and and everything to try to get this thing done. They've got to give you some help here and some incentive to say, yeah, it's going to be worth it.
3: Well, I've always maintained that that if they're if they're going to create an incentive that it should be for the tenant and not the landlord because you had mentioned earlier that you know lining the pockets of the uh, of the wealthy landlord well that's not the intention the intention is to to make the investments required in order to have affordable housing and the investment can be in the housing or the investment can be in in the tenant that uh, is ultimately going to be renting that housing and i would much prefer that that the tenant came with a coupon and was living in a place that was sort of balanced and equitable in in uh, in terms of the the fair market value effectively being their entire community and and then you get into the whole social aspect of of a wide variety of people uh, of different economic and socioeconomic backgrounds living in the same place and and how that creates healthy environments and and healthy communities so that's definitely part of what has to be looked at in this whole equation as well is people have to be able to afford it and if we oversupply the market with a certain particular type of uh, housing it's it's going to create an oversupply and the demand will therefore uh, dry up in that area and and prices will adjust accordingly and it's happened everywhere in the free market uh, in the history of mankind so why not housing in ontario
1: well and and that has happened i mean geared to income is is a philosophy that has been embraced to a certain extent but it's only going to work if you have the proper stock isn't it
3: correct and if you're not building more stock then you're not replacing bad stock or upgrading bad stock either so uh it's it's you know we've heard some of the horror stories about some of the the stock that's you know specifically locally that's unlivable, uh, and it, it exists, but you can't live in it because there hasn't been the capital investment required to maintain it over a 30-, 40-, 50-year lifespan. So if you're, if you're not going to allow a reasonable return that allows for reinvestment, uh, you're just not going to have a, a decent housing stock in the first place. So it, it's, the challenges continue, and, and drying up supply is not the answer.
1: Well, and we've heard from some of those people that own some of those units, and you're right, Jeff. I mean, we've talked about them on this program, you know, about huge apartment complexes, and you know, they're they're in bad need of repair, drastic repairs that need to be done. Yet the people that own them oftentimes are coming back and saying, "We just don't have the money," uh, we, you know, we don't have the capital for this. Uh, it's this has to be part of a much bigger discussion. I think about the whole thing. It it just seems as if they're looking at one aspect of it and saying, "Okay, this legislation is going to look after that," but it's. it's <laughs> It's like the old thing, it's like water in a balloon. I mean, if you push at one end of it, it's going to expand someplace else. There's going to be a reaction to that action, and the government doesn't seem ready uh, or has anticipated for that reaction. That's,
3: uh, I wish I said that, Bill. It was so eloquent. <laughs> 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 the water balloon is the answer. <laughs> this, is not, um, this is not magic. You know, your first-year economics in university, you learn the basics of, of what gets us to this point. And unfortunately, um, it, it just doesn't make any sense that, that this kind of, of um, reaction to the problem is, is what was contemplated by our government. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to throw darts at the uh, quote-unquote government, but this is a very specific policy that has very specific intentions, and the ramifications of it are completely contrary to what they're, they're planning and hoping for So it's, it's really unfortunate for the taxpayers.
1: I got about a minute left here, and I'm going to give you that one minute to, uh, to propose a solution. Uh, the government's listening, Jeff, right now, and they're saying, okay, okay, the slate's clean, what do we need to do? Uh, what do we need to do to bring the New Horizons and, and other development groups to the table to say, you know what, I think we can do something here?
3: Well, first and foremost, you have to let the market be a market. Uh, if you want investment of people's hard-earned capital into this segment, uh, let, let the market rule. And if there's a, a, a belly in the market of people who can afford X amount per month uh, to be in a rental housing stock, the free market will find a way to house those people because there's, there will be return on their investment for that. Uh, if, if you want to put handcuffs on people and say, now throw a long bomb, you can't throw a long bomb with handcuffs on. It's just not going to happen. So I would strongly suggest that we get back into an uh, economic situation where supply and demand are allowed to balance themselves out.
1: Well, hopefully that should uh, serve as the foundation for future discussions about this, and we certainly hope that the uh, the government pays attention to that. Jeff, great talking with you again today. I know that, uh, that you and the family have faced some uh, rather, uh, uh, well, remarkable challenges and onerous challenges over the last couple of weeks, but uh, thank God there was a, a great outcome to it as well, and we're glad and happy that everybody's good and uh, that you're back at it again today. Thanks for this.
3: I appreciate that. Thanks, Bill. And uh, as you said, most importantly, let's beat the Argo Saturday.
1: There. Okay, that's job one. Thanks again, Jeff. <laughs> Take care. Jeff Bacon, of course, president of New Horizon Development Group. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon
0: on AM 900 CHML.
1: How would you like to see Amazon locate their second headquarters right here in Hamilton? They've announced that they're going to have a second headquarters. They're in Seattle, uh, Washington, of course, up in the, uh, the northwest of the United States but they have suggested that, you know, it's about time that we built maybe a distribution center and another headquarters someplace else in North America. Who wants one? Well, everybody's got their hand up right now, Uh, from Dallas to Detroit to Boston to New York, uh, Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, I mean, you name it, Kitchener-Waterloo. Well, the city of Hamilton has decided to weigh in on this. Uh, Last week on the program, we talked with city manager Chris Murray about that, and they said, yeah, we want to do this. Uh, he's going to have to hire some expertise, obviously, to try to woo Amazon here. And that's going to cost a lot of money. And uh, one of the things that city council is going to talk about at their meeting later on this afternoon is whether or not they should go and invite the private sector. Maybe he invite's the wrong word. Maybe it's beg the private sector uh, for cash donations for the bid. Well, let's talk to Keenan Loomis about that. Keenan, of course, is the president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Keenan, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today.
2: Yeah, good morning, Bill. Thanks for having
1: me. Listen, just maybe let's start with the beginning here, the most elementary question of all, Uh, because I don't think that you and I have had this discussion since uh, the city uh, started to show some interest. I've talked to the mayor. I've talked to the city manager. Does the chamber have an official position about the Amazon bid, about whether or not they'd support this or they like the idea?
2: Well, we're certainly in support. We have signed a letter along with the rest of the anchor institutions in the city supporting the, the city's bid, and I think it would be great for the city to uh, to be all in on this bid, for sure.
1: Uh, what are the chances? Give me a, Come on, handicap this for me now. What do we well, have to do? I-
2: well, I mean, obviously there's, a, uh, there's more than just whether we are, uh, are suitable as a uh, site for the, the Amazon uh, second ha- headquarters. Uh, there's a lot of uh, politics at play as well. Um, uh, and, you know, obviously there are a lot of cities that are uh, in the running for this, so the chances are perhaps slim. But ultimately, I don't think that uh, uh, this is a wasted effort, even if we don't ultimately succeed.
1: Listen. You travel around. You talk to other chambers of commerce as well. Uh, and again, I, I listen. I, I think anytime you throw your hat in the ring, I mean, you got a shot, right? But but yep. it, are we prepared for this? I mean, do we have the sorts of things, the sorts of instru- infrastructure? You think that Amazon would be attracted to?
2: Absolutely, we do. And we've we've spent the last ten years building up uh, all of that and building the the business case for exactly this type of opportunity. So you know, if and, and I say, if, if Toronto is at all a legitimate shot and has, if they have a legi- legitimate shot in this, we have a legitimate shot as well. So absolutely, I think this is something that we need to go for. This is what an ambitious city does. <laughs>
1: I can just wonder what okay. the discussion that's going on in the Amazon boardroom. It's a Hamilton. Ham- well, these are the guys that don't want to build an LRT. Or oh, they do? They don't. They do. They don't. I uh, cross them off the list. Uh, we we got No, I'm my my point being. Uh, you gotta you gotta talk the talk and walk the walk if you want to be a big league city, and and I, I think sometimes we fall a little short. But you and I have had that discussion, haven't we?
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think that you know Amazon needs to look at what their values are and, and whether they really want to you know impact a city um, like Hamilton in a really positive way. And you know obviously they can go to Boston, they can go to New York, um, and there are all kinds of cities that they will have just a small blip, really. Uh, in terms of the overall impact. But in a city like ours, um, they could own the city uh, uh, you know within a couple of years. And I think that if that's something that they're really looking to do, then I think we're per- perfectly poised.
1: Have you had any discussions with uh, the city manager about this, about how the chamber might be of assistance?
2: Yeah, we've uh, offered certainly our support, and I know that internally the city is, is scrambling, and all cities are, really, so it, it's not like we're behind the eight ball here. Um, but the city is coming together, they're forming task forces, and, and uh, we said that whatever you need from us, we will provide. And uh, again, we've, we were able to help with the uh, Anchor Institution letter of support.
1: What role does uh, does business have in, in a bid like this? I mean, this is the city that's going after this, but as you mentioned off the top, Keenan, this is going to have, if it were to happen, huge ramifications. Uh, should business play an active role in trying to pursue this, Is it, and is there a role for them to play?
2: Well, I think certainly most businesses will be positively impacted by this. There will be some that perhaps might not be. Um, so there, there might be a little bit of uh, of a schism within the business community. But again, I, I think that overall, if you look at the impact, and you know, there's something like 50,000 jobs on the line and billions of dollars of economic impact. I think when when we're looking at um, you know what's best for the city as a whole, uh, we certainly have to be able to get behind uh, an effort like this.
1: 50,000 jobs, though, is going to have a, I would think a positive impact uh, on on totally. everybody. I mean, that's the only thing, isn't it? About all boats rise with high tide. If everybody. Uh, you know, see something like that happening, it's got to have an impact, even if that's not necessarily what your business is directed toward. That's more people working here, living here, making money here, spending money here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the great thing about what we have here in Hamilton is is we actually have the space to be able to um, to bring in uh, a really big effort like this. And, you know, whereas in, in Toronto, where would they go? I have no idea, right? Like the, the city is pretty much built out Whereas we have still, you know, a lot of vacant parking lots downtown. We have obviously uh, a lot of land uh, coming on board at the uh, at the waterfront. So we can really nicely fit in um, a really large uh, headquarters like this into the urban fabric and, and not, uh, you know, put them on the outskirts of the city.
1: There's another element to this, too, which I find interesting. Now, I have not seen the Seattle operation with the Amazon, but I'm told... Uh, by people who have been there, that it's actually not one physical location; that they're actually buildings in different parts of the downtown, uh, which I, I guess would bode well for us as well. I mean, you know, you don't necessarily have to offer them one big tract of land. Uh, there could be something in downtown. There could be something down by the waterfront. Uh, maybe even if there's going to get into distribution, obviously you've got the airport employment land. So there's there's seemingly endless possibilities from the Hamilton standpoint, anyway. And and I think your point's well taken when you look at cities like Toronto. Uh, Mississauga, other places like that, uh, that, that basically have told us, look, at, we're, we're built out right now. Uh, it's no wonder that Toronto's trying to partner. I, we had Mayor Goldring in the other day. Uh, he's actually part of the Toronto bid. Uh, the Halton region's been asked to, to make themselves available for things like that. So this, this looks like it's almost uh, going to be a team effort here. I don't know that one city is actually going to jump forward here. It kind of seems to be a, a collaborative effort.
2: Yeah, I think that if if they were to look at the GTA, including Toronto and Mississauga and Brampton and beyond, I I think things would be spread out a little bit too uh, far for Amazon um, because, again, there's very little land left uh, within the GTA, but but if they were to look at uh, at us, I think that we could really comp- compactly uh, bring in uh, the uh, all the workers and, and all the necessary infrastructure that they need into the current urban fa- fabric. And, and you're right, we're not alone here. Um, certainly we're teaming up with the, the province of Ontario. We've been encouraged by them and by the feds as well to, uh, to go on our own on this bid.
1: Let me ask you something else, and I want to go... Tap into your ba- your past life here when you worked at the Innovation Factory just uh, down the street from us here. Uh, the importance of something like the Innovation Park and the Innovation Factory and and the related elements to that, uh, Keenan that have come together. And you were kind of in on the ground floor when all of this stuff started. Uh, how that has helped uh, to, to put Hamilton on the map or at least on the radar when something like this comes up?
2: Yeah, well, it's certainly pulled together all the ecosystem that's necessary for something like this. And you know, we started that—I uh, guess it was about eight years ago now. Yeah. It, uh, and and um, it what it really has done more than anything, and it, it's changed the internal culture of our city, so that we are perfectly poised for something like this. And it doesn't really seem like much of a reach for us to to be able to go after. Uh, the Amazon uh, headquarters here. Um, I, I think that we've, you know, it, it's just gotten everybody uh, aligned, and uh, we'll see it tonight at, uh, at Lion's Lair. And, uh, you know, so it, I, I think that um, it, it, it was a lot of very necessary uh, preparatory work uh, for us to, to, to get here to this moment.
1: I mean, we I think revel in the success that that the the innovation park has enjoyed and and yes, the Lions layer competition, the the finalists are going to and the winners are going to be announced tonight up at Carmens. And uh, tomorrow, of course, we're going to be doing a show from uh, from the innovation park uh, as we have been. That's been our tradition for the last seven years as well. but but we we see the success here internally. Are they seeing it outside the city, Keenan? Do they see that Hamilton has changed, and Hamilton is developing that expertise?
2: yeah everywhere i go uh... everybody is talking about hamilton and and how much it's evolved over the last number of years i was just in fredericton for the last five days at the canadian chamber annual mm-hmm. meeting and uh... you know everybody has a much different perception of of hamilton now than even the last time they visited in in twenty twelve so we're hosting the ontario chamber of commerce annual meeting in uh... april of next year and everybody's really excited and i said you know, be prepared. A lot has happened over the last five years, and uh, everybody's really uh, excited about being able to see it with their own eyes. What role, then, uh, does private sector have? And I know we talked about the
1: chamber's presence here and the support, which I think is essential. That's good to know. But I've heard, and I don't know whether you have, I know you just got back into town a little while ago, a couple of days ago, uh, that uh, some individuals around town here have been uh, contacted, shall we say, by the city, Saying, "Look, could you write a check for this?" Um, and you know, in other words, it's going to take money to do this. And and I guess if you want to be in the big leagues, you are going to have to spend big league money for this. Right now, is is there a role, a financial role for for businesses and large businesses and entrepreneurs uh, to 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 play in this to support the city for this?
2: Sure, there is. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of large businesses left in in the city, um, so you know it'll be up to them to to certainly. Um, Determine whether it's worth their investment. Um, I think that uh, you know, obviously, this is an internal uh, matter right now with the, with the city of Hamilton, and I, I'm hoping that uh, you know, city council will, will support all the excellent efforts that have thus far been made by uh, by the staff there, and uh, whatever they can do to help offset the costs. I, I think that you know, what we found is is when we when it really comes down to it, the private sector really does step up to the extent that it can. Yeah, but
1: my concern, uh, and you're right, it is going to be discussed at council uh, later on this afternoon at five o'clock when they have their meeting. Uh, is, is and I know that when you use the phrase "think big," some people just kind of cringe and say, "Come on, can really, really afford to think big?" Uh, and and my concern is that some councilors just don't, and they're only concerned about, well, we've got to keep taxes low, and you know this is going to be an infringement on taxpayers and a burden on taxpayers, yada 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 you need some people with some vision that are willing to take a shot and say, you know what, I don't know what our odds are, but if we don't try, we're not going to get there. We need to think big uh, to be big and to be bigger. And, and, and I, I get really ticked off when I hear some counselors and, frankly, some people around the community as well that that, that comment on things like that and say, well, that's not our place. Hamilton's not that sort of city. And, and my obvious question back to them is, why can't we be?
2: Yeah, I, I well, you know, we... <laughs> We've had these types of frustrations in the past as well, and I think overall, you know, we are moving in that direction where the counselors are hopefully understanding more that, you know, in cases like this, they have to see themselves as, as being directors of the Corporation of the City of Hamilton and provide that vision and, and leadership necessary for us to uh, meet these sort of challenges. But I think the important thing to, to recognize is that even if we don't win this, um, all the things that are happening right now in terms of the the internal mobilization of the city and, and forming task forces and, and all of that, it's really preparing us for all the, the, the proliferation of opportunities that we are seeing at this moment. And so, you know, we're organizing in a way that will we'll be able to be replicated for future opportunities. So it's not going to be a wasted effort at all. And I think it, you know, it really will be. Um, an important, an, an important investment, and I think that you know this really, uh, really specific, really huge opportunity. Um, it takes that sort of thing to for us to get mobilized, but it will be uh, absolutely um, a worthwhile investment. Well,
1: we've seen this in the past, and then you know I've talked to Neil Everson when he was in charge of economic development, and Glenn Norton now that they will take a shot at something, and a lot of the times we don't even hear about this because it's it's done internally within the city. And they may not get the big prize, but, you know, three months, six months later, that same company may call back and said, you know what, we're thinking about doing something else. Are you guys interested? So it, you're right. It does put us on the map, and that can only help.
2: Yeah, we may not win Amazon, uh, but there will be a number of, of big wins coming down the pipe over the next few years, you know, to the next 10 years. Um, and, and I think you what you'll find is we will be able to attribute those victories to uh, the efforts that uh, that were crystallized uh, by this bid.
1: Kenny, I appreciate the time today. Thanks so much. Uh, of course, the, as we mentioned, the Lion's Lair uh, Banquet tonight up at Carmen's Banquet Center. It's sold out, by the way. Sorry, folks, if you didn't get a ticket. Uh, try next year, because it's always going to be a great night, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow, I guess, at the Innovation Park as we do our program from there.
2: Yeah, I'll be on tomorrow, so I look forward to seeing you,
1: Bill. All right, thanks again. Keenan Loomis, President okay, CEO you. of the uh, Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. City Council, by the way, will be dealing with the Amazon situation at their City Council meeting starting at 5 o'clock tonight at City Hall. And uh, we'll be reporting on that, of course, tomorrow, as to how Council decides to move on this and just how much money they want to put into something like this. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.